yes, it, there, there can be seasons of our lives when it's actually appropriate to not be in relationship and take stock and do personal growth and build friendships and community the way that we were just talking about. Welcome to today's episode. Uh, it's a solo episode, so just me and a few announcements I wanted to do before we start. The first is that I am launching a breathwork course, which I've mentioned a few times on the podcast, but it's going to be happening soon. And I just sent the intro email about it to men who've said they were interested so far. If you're interested in that, just email me at dearmenpodcast at gmail.com and I can get you that information. It's going to be a breathwork course, a breakthrough course so that you can help release old stuff from your nervous system and call in more of what you do want. So if you're at all interested, just let me know and I'll get you information on that. Also, shout out to our new patrons. Thank you for joining. We're going to have our uh, patron call probably next week. So if you would like to join a pa- as a patron, become a patron of the podcast, you can join our Patreon. And if you do so at a $10 a month level or more, you will get access to our live Q&As. So again, that will probably happen next week. So you still have time. This episode drops May 19th, Friday, May 19th. So if you still want to get in on that, go ahead and Google Dear Men Podcast Patreon and it'll come up right away. Um, I think that's it for announcements and it's just me this week. So we will get started momentarily. Okay, so we're doing several questions today. These are all real questions that I've gotten from our men, from our clients, and I think that they're going to serve a lot more than just them. So I thought I would just check this out. Um, We got good feedback on the last solo episode. So thank you for those of you that wrote in. I wasn't sure how it was going to go. And it's always a little nerve wracking, like, oh, am I enough or do I have to have a guest? So I appreciate your your feedback. Um, So yeah, we're going to get into it. So the first question is, in dating, I notice I get really attached and excited about someone, and then I'm really disappointed when it doesn't work out. How do I lessen the intensity of this? So I'm sure if you're listening and you're in the dating world, you can probably relate. You know, there's a way that we meet someone and we, you know, we're messaging back and forth. And even if we don't even go on a date with them, sometimes we're sort of building it up in our mind, like it's going to work out and we're going to, you know, we're going to be a couple and then, you know, I'm going to have a girlfriend or, you know, maybe even get married at some point. And so the first thing is to just extend a lot of compassion to yourself uh, about the, about the cycle of getting really excited and then being disappointed. You know, I think there's a way that sometimes we can feel shame, like, God, what is wrong with me that I got, I got so excited about that. And now I'm crushed. You know, I didn't even meet this person or I only met them once, or we only went on one date or whatever it is. But I really want you to be compassionate with with yourself because the reason that you feel sad is that you want to connect. It's your desire for connection. It's your desire for love. It's your desire for family. Even that's the root of what this is. And there's nothing wrong with being hopeful. There's nothing wrong with having excitement. Um, I think sometimes we can make ourselves wrong in different ways. And that's kind of a theme of this episode of the ways that we make ourselves wrong. So I think the most important thing is just 
to extend a lot of compassion to yourself and all the different parts of you, especially the young parts that just really want to be loved, really want to love and be loved. Then the second thing is that one thing I've noticed is that um, the attachment to this this connection, right? That sort of rumination pattern that can happen of like, oh, like I keep thinking about it. I can't stop thinking about it. What if I'd said this? What if I'd done that? What did I do wrong? All of that stuff. A lot of times the rumination is worse when we're not getting our connection needs met in general in our lives. So the rumination is attached to how much else you have going on in your life and specifically how much connection you have in your life. So it may sound counterintuitive, but one of the best ways to support yourself in dating is to spend time investing in community and friendship and personal growth, right? Working on yourself, getting the right support. Because when you feel satiated in your connection needs, right? When you're getting your connection needs met, you feel connected, you feel happy, you feel like there are people who deeply know you, who you can be yourself with, you can be authentic and transparent, you feel held you feel loved, right? You, you're having a sense of feeling loved in the world in general. It cushions the blow when you receive a blow, when there's a disappointment. It also means that there is a safe place for you to process that disappointment, right? There are safe people for you to say, man, it didn't work out with this girl. Or it didn't work out this woman. And I'm really sad. <laughs> like, I'm really sad. I, I thought we were a great fit. And, you know, she just told me, that she doesn't think so. And it's just, it's sad, you know, I'm, I'm sad about it. And to have a place where you, a safe place where you can share that and be loved, right. To be, to be able to process that with, it's going to be a lot easier. So again, I think that the, sometimes the, the tendency can be to, to sort of think that things around dating are about dating and in part they are about dating, but in large part, they are also just about connection in general, how we're getting our connection needs met, where we're getting them met. And if we're really lonely and isolated, which is so common these days, it's so common to be lonely and isolated. It's really important to, yeah, invest in, in community and connection to actually go and find ways of building community and building connection, receiving that kind of connection in your life so that you feel more connected in general and then dating from that place. I realize that's easier said than done. And I guess I just want to validate the experience of loneliness because I myself have experienced that. And I think it's, it's even harder these days in the ways that we live, right? We tend to live in very isolated situations. Some some of us work from home. Um, some of us live alone, work from home and don't live close to family or friends. And that's a really tough place to be. So sometimes there are structural shifts that need to happen in order to get you around more connection on a regular basis. It's, it's a really important part of our lives. And I, I think many of you may already know this, but the Surgeon General in the United States recently launched an initiative to address loneliness as an epidemic in this country. And I would say in the West in general, because the effects of loneliness are so pervasive and so intense and can show up as things like irritability or depression or um, overeating or um, anxiety, you know, there's a lot of ways that, that loneliness manifests, but the root cause of it is connection. Addiction is another, another one way that it manifests when really it's about connection at the end of the day. It's about us getting our connection needs met, feeling like we are around people who know us and love us and to whom we matter. 
and who we feel like we are of value to. We feel like we're contributing and we are just connected. So if you are someone who is deeply lonely and feels isolated, I am extending a huge hug to you and just I have a lot of empathy and a lot of compassion and a lot of understanding of what that experience is. And I get it. I see you. Okay. Question number two is, should I wait to get into a relationship in order to work on my stuff? This is such a good question. And I'm going to read out the longer version that that came in. In the ongoing process of discovering relationship patterns and toxic behaviors, can you effectively work on yourself while in a relationship, especially if it's one where my toxic patterns are present? Toxic is in in, uh, quotes. I can see pros and cons, but is there any evidence to point to whether I need to work on myself to get rid of some of the patterns that are ultimately hurting me or conversely work on things in real time while in a relationship? Great question. There is truthfully no straightforward answer to this question. It's really both. You know, for a lot of folks, when you've identified that you have deeper uh, relationship patterns going on, right, attachment issues, or you've identified that, yeah, you you experienced some trauma as a child. You are, maybe you listened to our episode on childhood neglect and you recognized yourself in that. Maybe you were in a home with um, emotionally chaotic parents or absent parents, or you're just realizing the impact of that on you. Yes, it is important to address that. It is very important. And doing personal growth work is one of the best investments you can make in having a healthy relationship later on. Because the truth is, as Jason often says, we attract our reciprocal. So if you want a healthy, aware, dynamic partner, then you have to be a healthy, aware, dynamic person. And then it's going to be a lot easier. So investing in yourself, investing in personal growth, getting into a men's work, doing trauma therapy, all of that stuff is going to set you up for success later on. So basically, um, the answer is it depends. Yes, sometimes it is appropriate to wait to get into a relationship, especially if you're kind of reeling from the last one and you're still sorting out what happened, how did I get here, what's going on. Yes, it, there there can be seasons of our lives when it's actually appropriate to not be in relationship and take stock and do personal growth and build friendships and community the way that we were just talking about, right? It's like, this is a season of my life where I need to build community. I need to get um, build a foundation of in-person friends, online friends, feel connected, maybe start volunteering in my community, just build friendships and connection where I live in order to feel more held and secure overall, and then start dating from that place. And I think that because of the loneliness epidemic and because so many of us are so isolated, it can be easy to sort of minimize or ignore our loneliness and, and, and think that dating is going to help with that. And it can, in part, sometimes sort of do that, but it also sets you up for a codependent dynamic if you aren't already held with friendships and community to start with. So the answer is yes, sometimes you should wait. And sometimes, inevitably, you know, when you do start dating, some of those patterns are going to show up again. And that's okay. It doesn't, the, the game of trying to eliminate a pattern that you've had is a really hard one to win. It doesn't usually go away. What I have found is that as people grow and learn and shift and transform, especially when they're supported by a community, it's not that the pattern goes away. It's that it used to show up as a level 10 and now it's showing up as a level seven. 
and or the patterns are showing up, but you're able to work with them. So for example, you feel yourself wanting to say yes to a partner that they've asked you for something. You feel yourself wanting to say yes and overextend and, and do the pattern where you're just people pleasing, but you catch yourself and you're able to, even if you say yes in the moment, the next day, or at some point you're able to say, you know what? I realized I was overextending there and I'm actually not available to bring you to the airport. I'm really sorry if that caused confusion and I need to honor my boundaries here. So there's a way that our patterns may still be in place, but the way that we respond to them changes and evolves and becomes healthier and we start to make different choices around them. So I think the idea that we totally eliminate them is not always realistic, but we turn the volume way down and we get more resilient around them. We get you know, faster at responding well, we get better at standing up for ourselves. We see improvements, incremental improvements that add up to big change over time. Uh, third question is, um, I brought flowers to a woman who was throwing a dinner and she didn't respond. Did I do something wrong? So the, um, the longer question to this was, I recently went to a group potluck and a woman in the group was hosting. I decided I wanted to bring her flowers for hosting. When I brought them in, there was no reaction from the host to the flowers, and I was confused. Did I do something inappropriate? So this is such a tender question to me because it feels really um, familiar. One of my biggest triggers is feeling ignored. When I feel ignored, I feel really terrible. And I actually remember back in the day um, when I used to go to Doug Club, Uh, I would often feel ignored by bartenders and it was really painful for me. I didn't really know how to react well to it, but it kind of hurt. Um, And what I found really poignant about this question was like, did I do something wrong? Did I do something wrong by bringing the flowers? So first of all, no. (laughs) When we offer something to someone and our offering isn't responded to, right? There's no reaction or response it can trigger old wounds around feeling ignored or left out or unnoticed or invisible. And this is really important because there's actually really big, um, good work to be done here on our side. And it's also really painful. So there's, again, a lot around self-compassion and empathy for oneself, especially for the younger parts of us that are really the ones that are getting triggered and old memories of of that awful feeling of being abandoned or alone or excluded in some way. And also just energetically, it's really hard for us to not feel responded to. You know, babies make faces at their attachment figures, at their parents or whoever their caregivers are, and the caregivers uh, respond back. They make a little face back. They mirror the baby. When we're not mirrored, something doesn't um, something doesn't feel safe. When we're not mirrored, when we extend ourselves to someone and they don't reach back, that can be very painful and can trigger really old stuff. So the first thing is self-compassion, again, theme. Um, and the second thing is <laughs> just really internalizing that it's not about us. So I've definitely been someone who when I wasn't in a good headspace, probably reacted poorly. I was probably that woman who didn't really respond when someone gave me something that they were, that they were, you know, wanting a response from. And if I was stressed or anxious, you know, the times that I've been stressed or anxious about things going on in my life, 
I really haven't responded well. I really haven't. You know, there have been days, there have been moments when I didn't have the space, I didn't have it in me to respond well. And I feel bad about that. So I guess I would just say a collective, I'm sorry to folks in the past that I didn't really respond to in the way that they were needing. Um, but this really gives us um, some compassion or insight into the other side, which is um, the other side, meaning the side of bringing something and having it not responded to, which is, I think a lot of us, when we put ourselves out there in some way and it doesn't work out, then we make ourselves wrong. We think we did something wrong. We start questioning like, oh, maybe that was the wrong move or maybe it was too soon. Maybe I'm too much. Maybe my, you know, maybe that was the wrong phrasing. Maybe I didn't say it the right way. And here's the truth bomb. Just because someone isn't able to meet us in our expression doesn't mean we were wrong for expressing ourselves. Just because someone isn't able to meet us in our expression doesn't mean that we're wrong for expressing ourselves. We, we have a tendency to make ourselves wrong instead of acknowledging that actually we're a healthy adult who is, you know, expressing ourselves in the world and we should be commended for that. We should give ourselves props. We should give ourselves love for doing that, especially for extending ourselves in generosity. And by extending ourselves in generosity, I mean, maybe it's bringing someone flowers. Maybe it's, um, sharing an important or vulnerable truth with someone. And this can be even with family members. You know, a lot of our clients in, in the growth work that they're doing, they, they start responding and showing up differently in all aspects of their lives, at work, at home, in dating, and with family. And one of the most, um, yeah, just one of the most touching things that I've witnessed in, in the work with our men is their ability to lead with vulnerability changes the molecules in the room. Even if their parent or their brother or their cousin or their family member isn't able to respond well, there's a sense of dignity that comes from self-expression, authentic self-expression, authentic offerings. And it's been really beautiful to witness men leading to the best of their abilities with vulnerability having conversations, sharing things they've maybe never shared with, and thinking particularly of family members, but in dating as well. And, and them, you know, counting the win as the share, not the response. The win isn't necessarily that, you know, their father was able to meet them in that conversation. Maybe he actually shut down or maybe, maybe the man's mother just did her same sort of anxiety dance, but the man counts it as a win because he was able to put it out there. He was able to express, especially in homes where it wasn't safe for us to express our feelings, where it wasn't modeled to us. It wasn't really, we just never saw it. We didn't know how to do it. It's especially empowering for people that grew up in homes like that to learn how to express themselves in, in life as adults because it's soothing to our inner child. There's something soothing about us being able to express ourselves. So I just want to acknowledge and encourage you, you, the collective you, to lean into expression and to lean into backing up your inner child, to backing yourself up. Just because you brought something up and the other person shut down or reacted poorly, it doesn't mean that you were wrong to bring it up. It doesn't mean that you were wrong to express yourself, especially when you're bringing vulnerability in the expression, right? When you're using I statements, when you're sharing from your heart, 
when you're being clear about the impact on you, et cetera, and you're not, you know, being accusatory or trying to, you know, express in a way that, that, that puts them on the defensive when you're actually owning your own experience and offering, right. Offering something from your heart, it's commendable. It's commendable. So it doesn't always quote unquote work, meaning you're not always going to get the response that you want, but the win is in the expression. That's the win. It's not in the outcome. So that's that one. Uh, number three, how do I not take the bait? Or actually, I think this is number four. Yeah, number four. Number four, how do I not take the bait when someone is baiting me? Like not getting reactive. So the longer version of this was, I grew up in an environment where most adults in my life were very reactive and emotional. I've had a tendency to do the same without questioning the automatic behavior, often leading to heated arguments in my relationships. I've had a moment of enlightenment recently that I don't need to react this way. And there are more other constructive ways of handling situations, such as controlling my emotions slash self-regulation and responding instead of reacting. I haven't had good role models for this, but I'd love to hear other suggestions or recommendations on templates or patterns others employ to avoid, to avoid acting out of the primitive brain and not getting sucked in or taking the bait when another person is trying their hardest to get you to actively engage or to reactively engage. So one of the things I really appreciate about this question is, is the acknowledgement that, you know, again, many of us grew up in environments where adults didn't model this very well. They were reactive. They were emotional. They didn't have a lot of patience. They, they didn't model, um, emotional regulation really. And so this question is, how do I do that? Right. What does that actually look like in real life? Especially when the other person is being reactive, right? When the other person is actually baiting me. So I I just jotted down a few strategies here and I would be curious to hear from, from others about what you do. But one of the things that I have found is useful both for, for me and I think for the other person is reporting on what's going on in your physical body, right? So if someone is kind of being reactive with you or yelling at you or, you know, especially I'm thinking in intimate relationships, right? In relationship dynamics, when your partner is coming to you with, with heat and with intensity, especially if it feels accusatory, it's very different to say, well, you're not listening for you to say to them, well, you're not listening or, well, that's not true versus saying, I'm noticing that my heart is racing right now. My stomach is tense. There's a lot of tension in my stomach and I'm not really breathing. Part of the advantage of this is when you report on your own physical state, it actually helps you get into your body and out of your head. So even just talking about what's happening for you physiologically can help you drop in, maybe take a breath, maybe slow down. It also alerts the other person to the fact that you're triggered without you being accusing. So you're not, you're not using a lot of content. You're not commenting on what they said but you're reporting on what's actually happening for you physically. I'm noticing my face is really flushed. I'm having trouble breathing. Um, I can't really feel my legs. Um, Feels like there's ice water being dumped down my spine. The physiological um, impact of us being triggered can help the other person, particularly, (laughs) particularly if your partner is empathetic or has the capacity to be empathetic, you're bringing them in to your world. You're helping them understand where you're at 
Now, this is going to depend a lot on the capacity that your partner has. So if you're with, for example, a woman who has borderline personality disorder, BPD, as we've mentioned on other episodes, this isn't going to be as effective. They're not necessarily going to have the level of compassion that's needed in these situations. But if you do have a partner that is capable of empathy and wants to be, does want to be on your side, does want both of you to win, this kind of thing can kind of help bring her up short in a good way and sort of alert her to the fact like, hey, there's actually something really deep going on here. And my partner's having a hard time too. Um, So that's one strategy. Another strategy is going for a walk, taking a walk, not with your partner, but (laughs) solo. And if you choose to do this, you need to tell the person you're going to be back. So that can sound like Listen, I'm realizing I'm actually getting really activated standing here listening to this. I do want to hear what you have to say, and I need to go for a walk to process a little bit. So I'll be back in about 10 minutes. You never want to leave the room and not tell the person that you'll be back. That is really scary for a lot of people. And you don't want to stay in the room if you know that you're going to be reactive. So if you're aware, shit, if I stay, I'm going to say some things that I'm going to regret. I'm, I'm getting really triggered. I can feel, you know, all those physiological things we talked about. You know, it's happening. My face is flushed. Like all, all the things are getting activated. Going for a walk is really helpful for a couple of reasons. One, um, yeah, if you can get around nature, if you can get around trees or flowers or just anything out in nature, it's going to help regulate you. It's going to help you downregulate just something about being in nature, especially if you can hear the wind through the trees. There's something very soothing to the human body about wind through trees and the left, right motion of walking left foot to or uh, totally fucking this up, but when your arms are swinging in relation to your legs and you're doing left, right motion, that's another thing that's known to downregulate and to help the two hemispheres of your brain talk to each other again. So often when we're, when we're standing, when we're sedentary or we're standing, we can get more physiologically aroused and not, not in the good way, not in the, the fun way of, of, of getting aroused, but in the sort of scared fight or flight way, um, versus when we're in motion, particularly when we're walking, we've got that lateral movement going, it actually soothes our system. So if you're able to take a walk, that can be really helpful. And then the last thing is depending on what you're able to um, do in the relationship, if this is an ongoing pattern of behavior, if the two of you are getting into reactive situations, it can be helpful to get a coach or a therapist or someone else that works with couples to work with the two of you on specific strategies that you can use around moments of intensity. So for example, one of my friends, um, they worked on when they had conflict, when they were in periods of intensity, they would actually sit together. Um, she would straddle him. So again, not in a sexual way, but more of just we're, we're deeply connected. We're actually physically touching and we're looking into each other's eyes. We're facing each other. We're physically touching. And that helped particularly her nervous system calm down and know that, okay, he is still here with me. I'm not alone because her story was I'm deeply alone and he doesn't care. So that was one of the strategies that they used. 
that would not work for every couple. So it can be really helpful to work with a professional and to see what kinds of strategies the two of you can use. There can also be certain statements, certain soothing statements, like this is really hard for me to stay in the room right now and I'm committed to this. I'm committed to our relationship, for example. Or I'm noticing I'm, I'm really activated and I don't know what the solution is here but I love you. I'm still here. So again, these are specific statements that you workshop with someone so that you can offer different things to each other in the moment that you already know work. So you're kind of getting ahead of things. Um, And another question that can be really helpful and valuable in many circumstances is to ask someone, what are you needing right now? What is something that you're needing right now? And there's something about that question that I have found kind of puts me in uh, a different place. So if I'm very activated or I'm really irritated or upset, you know, sometimes, again, it's going to depend on the person's level of consciousness and awareness and capacity. But a lot of the time I can offer, like I'm needing reassurance. I need to know that you're really, you're still here with me, that you're really in this or what, you know, whatever it is. So there's something about that question of what are you needing right now that can help in, in periods and moments of intensity. So those were our questions. If you have, if you have any questions or anything to offer that you feel like I missed or that you would like to contribute to, you can get me at dearmenpodcast at gmail.com. And I kind of wanted to wrap with, uh, it's not exactly a celebration, but there's a really beautiful this one of our uh, current clients wrote a really beautiful section in one of his um, one of his practices, and I got his permission to read this on the podcast. So this is an, an exercise that we have clients do around um, things they're wanting um, with respect to um, sort of deeper things that they're wanting in their lives. Um, and this is what he wrote, and I really loved it. I want acknowledgement for how much I endured as a scared, bullied kid with an abusive mom and as a broken, dormant man married to a rigid, controlling woman. I want more self-love for the child who was me and for the imperfect adult who was often working too hard or exhausted. I want recognition that from all that mess has emerged a man who is always learning always growing, a man who is strong, caring, compassionate, and capable of sharing a deep and mature love with his partner. And that man is in a healthy relationship and is a source of inspiration to me. So thank you to everyone out there who's doing the work. And if you are interested in doing the work with us, you can go to evolutionary.men slash apply.